G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to talk about some new research based on the stories of lots of people who have recently converted to Christianity. Sometimes we use terminology like coming to faith in Christ or having an encounter with God where belief is born in the heart of an individual. Well, what sort of things do you think new converts who were not churched would have in common? Or is every story completely different? People don't just convert on a whim. There must be some deep processes happening within the hearts of converts. Well, today, some insights into what's going on when people undergo a conversion experience. Our special guest is Lynn Taylor. Lynn has just finished a major research project earning a PhD investigating why some people become Christians today. So a special welcome all the way from New Zealand to Lynn Taylor. Hello, Lynn. Welcome along. Thank you. Great to be with you. Lynn, you're a Kiwi across the Tasman, but you did most of your research uh, talking to Aussies. Is that the case? Yes, that's right. I was living in South Australia at the time, and so I did my PhD through Flinders University and interviewed people in South Australia about their experiences of coming to faith. And, of course, you were asking this question, why do previously unchurched people become Christians today? What were your interests when you chose that as the topic for your studies, for your research? I'm always interested in discovering how God's at work at the moment, Um, and I was interested to learn why it was that people who had come from no church background were finding faith. There's been a bit of work done on why people leave the church, but I thought as Christians it's great to, to understand why people come to faith, and then perhaps we can do things that actually help those processes um, and so that as Christians we can better engage in those conversion processes today. I imagine that mostly we rely on the sort of anecdotal uh, evidence. You know, we heard a story, we heard a testimony of someone who was talking about their own experience, and we we think of that as uh, the evidence that you have for conversion and what that all means, but you've taken things a step deeper than that, and you've gotten lots of stories, and you've correlated some evidence and uh, and some of the statistics from some of those stories. Now, this is where it gets really exciting. So how do you go about answering the questions that you were asking when you are trying to do a research project on what it is to be converted? Yeah, so it was a qualitative project, which means that I heard the stories of a, a smaller number of of people, and I heard them in, in a lot of detail. I sampled, I deliberately chose people who had come to the Christian faith from no church background. So they weren't people who had been steeped in the stories of faith from an early from an, an early age. They were people who had come as generally as adults or as um, older young people 
True Faith having had no previous background. Um, and I also interviewed people who had come to faith within the previous two years. So their stories were really fresh and they hadn't had a chance to kind of reinterpret or re-understand their experiences on the basis of their later experiences and later theological understandings. So they were two things that made my project quite unique. And then I heard, I listened to those stories. I allowed the stories themselves and the, the reflections that came out of them to shape the, the theory that I developed, basically, of why people are finding faith today. And then alongside these stories that I was hearing, I was reading very widely across, um, you know, within biblical studies and theology and also social science to try to understand what other people think and how they see um, faith forming. Well, that is just so interesting as you start to describe that because oftentimes we talk to people and perhaps they had a Sunday school experience as a child or they had some connection to a youth group as a teenager and they didn't really connect with a belonging community as part of a local church, but sometime a little later in their life, they have an experience, they come to faith in Christ. But but you've found people who didn't have all of that church background, those connections to church, and that was one of the issues that you were very interested in, to talk to people who didn't have this connection to a church in the past. Yeah, that's right. Yes, because you know, so often, um, I mean, it's, it's a growing demographic of people, people who haven't grown up in the church and so much of the way that we do evangelism and the way that we expect people might find faith is based on our own experiences and the stories that we've heard and retold. Um, and I had a hunch that it was going to be different for people who, had, who hadn't been brought up into, in that sort of context. But of course there's no saying that those people might not have seen ads or television programs or the sorts of things that uh, you know we might think of as a movie with a Christian theme. There is a certain Christianity that does permeate the society, but, uh, but there are a lot of people, as you say, uh, that haven't had the connection to a Christian believer a connection to a Christian past that actually has started to form that uh, that faith in their life. Yes. Yeah, and even when those things are built into their lives, it can be a very long-term process by which they actually come to faith. I think of one of the women that I interviewed for whom it was about 20 years between having a really significant encounter with God and knowing that it was God, um, but still took her 20 years to be prepared to say yes I want to be I want to name myself as a follower of Christ and during that period just the the uh, faithfulness of her Christian friends who continued to to keep in, in contact with her and to to care for her over that period of time was so crucial Lynn you mentioned there's a process that people go through when they haven't had any church connection in their background uh, but there is something that you've discovered in your research, uh, a, a process in forming in people faith. Uh, how do you think people are getting onto that process at the start? I mean, people, do they realise they're on a process? They might not. Yeah, probably often not um, as they're embarking on the journey. And I think you know, often it's in hindsight they look back and can see or can articulate what had happened for them. So, but the process began with some sort of initial exposure to to Christianity, which was often through a friend or or a family member, most often a friend or or a work colleague, 
Um, and then something tended to happen that acted as a trigger or a catalyst that just got them exploring this whole faith business in a, in a bit more in a bit more detail. It could be something that was quite positive, like just a wondering or a noticing something and exploring it further, or it could be something negative, like a um, a relationship breakup or something bad that happened that just caused them to to rethink about life and to begin to look at options for, for resourcing their, their well-being, I guess. At some point, yeah. they started to engage in a variety of spiritual practices, which included going to church, but also included reading the Bible, fellowshipping with other Christians, praying, and engaging in Bible study, that sort of thing. And usually that engagement came following the invitation of a Christian friend, although that wasn't always the case. Sometimes they began those sorts of practices before being specifically invited. And then along below this kind of journey that they were going on, there were many stages in which they just felt that they were continuing to say yes to this process. There were times when they could have opted out, many times they could have opted out, but they just kept saying, yes, we'll continue to engage in the process, we'll continue to do these things, we'll continue to hang out with our Christian friends, continue to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, whatever it was they were doing, until eventually they came to a point of realisation that they were Christians. There was less kind of dramatic conversion events and more realisations that, yes, they had been formed as people of Christian faith and they were happy to name that for themselves. So that was kind of the journey that those I interviewed went through, this process of having some sort of exposure something happening that just got them on the journey and then engaging in spiritual practices and really being formed into the Christian faith and reaching a point where they said, yeah, I am I am a Christian. That is who I am. Linda, do you come across people who came from a very hardened, uh, antagonistic place towards Christianity? Sometimes people want to call themselves atheists. Uh, just for the sake of saying, well, uh, you know, I'm I'm quite uh, cynical about all of this religious talk, uh, those sorts of things. Did people come from any of those really hardened backgrounds? And is the journey the same for those people as to those who actually have, you know, a fairly pleasant experience along the way? Yeah, there was one in particular who came from that sort of experience. He called himself a militant evangelical atheist. He was very enthusiastic about the idea of um, telling Christians exactly why they were wrong and why their beliefs were were silly and flawed, and for him, um, his he'd had an initial exposure of Christian to Christianity through grandparents. Um, had actually gone to church a couple of times as a as a child, but um, not not very much at all. Um, and the trigger for him was he noticed a Bible in his bookcase and he thought, I'm going to read that and see what these silly Christians believe. And that really began this process of opening the Bible and going, I don't understand it, it's the King James Version, and um, obtaining a more accessible Bible. And then he described this six-month process of wrestling with God, um, having a, a sense that the atheism that he'd held to was inadequate, um, and that there were these things that were happening for him at a really deep level that were calling into question um, that those previous belief systems. And he was drawn into into connection with God. 
Let's talk about what you have begun to discuss as a deep level because a lot of the things that we think about in a process, uh, the exploring, uh, reading the Bible, uh, you know, the invitation of a Christian friend, these sorts of things are sort of external processes, but there are all sorts of things that are going on within the life of a person. Uh, When you describe deeper level activity in a person's life, what do you mean by that? Sure. Yeah, I identified um, six things that are called affects. So they were kind of like emotions, but deeper than emotions. And those things really kept the process going and also contributed to the process. So there were things like a, a sense of yearning or a wanting more. There was something, a dissatisfaction and a yearning for more. Um, those I interviewed had a, had a desire to live better or to be to be better people or to become the person that they really were. And so they were two that really motivated people's uh, searching, motivated their, their journeys and acted often as a kind of a starting point um, for that process. They okay. also experienced a sense that faith relates to everyday life and that was something that it was often other Christians who were helping them to see as other Christians shared their own stories of faith. They realised that faith actually made sense to, the, to everyday life um, and was meaningful for people and could be meaningful for them. The next one was a sense of welcome and warmth and belonging and that was really important that they felt like they had a place in connection to the Christians that they were meeting um, but also there was a sense of homecoming in relation to God as well and they were finding that there was a sense of, of belonging with God as well as a sense of belonging with other Christians. Now, interestingly, when you describe uh, points like that, uh, we can't see those things that are going on inside the individual. And uh, people have their own masks, their own facades that they put up, but you can't really tell what's going on inside a person's heart. Uh, so, uh, so how do you... Uh, you know, as a Christian believer, and you have a desire to share your faith with someone, uh, even though they may be antagonistic, you don't know that all of these processes are going on in this deeper part of what happens inside us as people. Yeah, and I think there was very much a sense of readiness to hear the gospel and to um, and to respond to it in these people. And the the man that I interviewed, who had been an atheist. He had a long period of of time when he wasn't in a in a place where he could was prepared to hear those stories and to to allow the faith, I guess, to to impact on him. Um, so there's very much a discernment that needs to go on for us as Christians in terms of hearing where people are at and discovering how we can best resource their place in the journey, whatever that is. Um, but it was interesting, the people that I interviewed, they were very clear that their Christian friends were open towards them and there was a sense of mutuality in the relationship. And so it wasn't that they were trying to convert their friends, it was more that they were just doing life together and as they journeyed together, sharing the stories of their own faith, these Christians were were resourcing and growing growing the faith of their non-Christian friends. So I I can uh, tend to think of uh, the idea of Christians being perceived to be sometimes judgmental. 
but when you say this certain uh, welcoming and belonging, it really means uh, we're going to accept you and we might not agree with a lifestyle that you might lead or you might be a non-believer and I'm a believer, but uh, we're going to be friends and we're going to do this journey anyway. Is that the way you're describing that? Absolutely, yeah. And it was really interesting. Sometimes it seemed quite upside down and back to front. Um, One of the women that I spoke to talked about getting to know her Christian friend and it was as she, the non-Christian, was supporting her Christian friend through a difficult time that the relationship actually started to flourish. And so it wasn't a case of this Christian friend doing things to help her non-Christian friend, but she was actually vulnerable and open and enabled her non-Christian friend to bless her and to encourage her, and that was the start of their friendship. And I think sometimes as Christians we can be so good at helping other people and blessing other people that we actually don't allow ourselves to be blessed and we don't put ourselves in those places where we are vulnerable and we say, look, our life is hard and we need help or we need we need someone else to to help us in this particular moment and to allow our non-Christian friends to actually provide that love and that care towards us. And Lynn, the connection here between this love and this belonging and this acceptance, uh, because some people might say, I'm getting that at my local football club. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's got to be something deeper than a club mentality, uh, the thing that actually connects people to understanding that what they're experiencing is actually a fruitfulness of people's lives because they're in a relationship with God, a transcendent God. Uh, How do you actually describe that connection and what's different about people coming to faith and becoming part of a local church uh, as different to the idea of just a club? Yeah, sure. So the people were were sharing their stories of what their faith meant to them, Um, and so there was that sense that the non-Christians that I interviewed had been able to see the impact of faith in the lives of their Christian friends, and they were beginning to experience that for themselves. I think you're exactly right in terms of the the transcendent God. There was something beyond themselves um, that they were beginning to recognize and beginning to respond to. So it wasn't just about a social club that satisfied social needs, but it was actually that that something more, that something beyond what is towards what could be, um, that they were beginning to recognise on some level to respond to, to engage in spiritual practices that actually help them to further discern the, the um, presence of God in their lives and in the world. Life. Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Lynn Taylor is our guest and what a great conversation today talking about Lynn's research investigating why some people come to faith as Christians today even though they might not have had a background which is connected with the church. You can be a part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. We'll take some calls in just a few moments but Lynn, just to to follow on from what we've been talking about, these things that are happening internally, these deeper things that go on in a person's life, 
in a process that leads them to declare their faith in Christ, to become a Christian. There's a certain sense in which people have a a, a gut feeling. How do you describe this sort of gut feeling that people might describe that uh, describe when they talk about faith? Yeah, so those things I've already named around the yearning, wanting more, desire to be a better person, a sense that faith relates to everyday life, the warmth, welcome, belonging. And then there are also two others. One, in relation to just a sense of knowing, just a sense of rightness. It just felt right, was what people would say to me. There are no words. I can't describe it. I don't even understand it entirely in my head, but it just felt right. And... I think that was really crucial for people that there was often just this this um, sense of rightness that they couldn't articulate because, you know, God is pretty mysterious and pretty beyond our understanding and they were responding within their being to this um, and they knew it was right even though they couldn't articulate exactly what that meant. And then the final one was a, a sense that they were seeing things differently and... Um, from the simple things like Hamish noticing the Bible on his bookcase through to a reorientation of the way that they thought and the way that they saw things. That was a consequence of the conversion process they were undertaking, but also that contributed to that process. And um, those two things were very much seemed like they were God at work in their lives. They weren't anything that we as Christians could could help to generate, but they were just God at work in the lives of those I interviewed, helping them to connect with God and helping them to see the work of God in the world around us. And interestingly, when you describe all of those deeper things, it's not just an emotional experience here, because when you talk about a sense of knowing, that's a deeper thing than just having an emotive response, isn't it? Because yeah, uh, uh, the gut feeling, the the sense of knowing that you're talking about, uh, these things are, uh, in fact, quite substantial. But I wonder whether those things fall into a category where you could say this is almost like a mysticism, a mystical experience, just a sort of a gut feeling knowing, uh, rather than actually having an intellectual understanding of what they were doing when they were connecting with Christianity as well. Did you uh, explore those sorts of connections, the things that people needed to know before they could say, I'm a Christian? Yeah, there was very much a sense that it was you know, beyond beyond the rational, beyond the intellectual, um, although you know, nothing things through was important. Thinking about, about faith and what it meant was really important. But there was a sense that it was something deeper within that they were being called into um, in terms of their relationship with God. And they didn't have to have all the intellectual bits sewn up before they said, yes, I'm a Christian. Um, they, part of the realization was that faith is complex, that um, you know, we, call it, we call it faith because it's, it's faith. <laughs> it's not knowing. It's not, you know, it's and not, interestingly, it's not we, we don't need to know all the answers before no. we come to, to faith, although there might be a journey and a process by which people do look for those answers when they come to faith. Mm. We're, we're taking calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, 316 316 and uh, just a few minutes out from Vision National News, let's hear from Robin in Cabramatta in Sydney. Hello, Robin. Welcome oh, along. hello. I haven't got much time. Look, this phone's been cutting out a bit. I haven't been able to hear everything okay. on the phone, so I'm hoping I get through. Yep. What are your thoughts, Robin? Um, I came to faith 
through a person that I met where I worked, and he impressed me. One thing that was different about him than most other Christians that I'd been brought up with is that he believed it was so important to love one's enemies. In fact, he meant even our political enemies, you know, those that might um, attack us uh, physically. Yeah, good thoughts that there. Really, really impressed me. I thought, yes, that's it. Doesn't mean it's. I mean, <laughs> I haven't always been able to live up to that, but I believe in it and I aspire to it. Robin, that is wonderful. There is a sense in which you're saying that people who have a counterintuitive way of responding, uh, it stands out when you look different in the way that you respond, like loving your enemies. Your thoughts for Robin, Lynn? Yeah, so Jesus was certainly very big on, on love. That was kind of what a lot of the message was about. Um, and, yeah, loving our, our enemies, loving God, loving our neighbour as ourselves and including everyone in that in that neighbourhood. So, yes, the way that we respond to other people is certainly a huge witness um, to others in terms of of our faith. And I think it is, is really significant in, in drawing people into relationship with God. Thank you so much to Robin from Cabramatta. Just a, a little while out from news, a quick uh, comment. Chris from South Australia, welcome along. Yeah, hi there. Chris, only a very short time. What are your thoughts? Um, well, one of the key things that I hear you talking about this morning is relationship and connection. Um, I'm the State Director of Scripture Union here in SA, and I, I know that it's when we bring young people into the relationship, then they start to discover where faith is really real. But after a few decades also doing youth and kids ministry in churches, when we're reaching out to young people in the local communities, you know, they're not coming to belief right on the spot. They're, they're Chris, I'm going to have to cut in. I might actually put you on hold and we might come back and talk to you more. But we're going to news more with our special guest. Our special guest is Lynn Taylor, and we'll talk some more after news. Uh, Lynn, let's pick up where we left off at just before the news. Uh, a caller calling through, Chris from South Australia, who is still with us on the line. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome back to 2020. Yeah. Chris, you were starting to describe some of your experience and you mentioned that you are the director of Scripture Union in South Australia and the idea that there is a relational way that people get together before they start to explore deeper issues of faith. Uh, just explain what you were uh, calling to contribute with just before the news. I suppose it's the difference between what might be considered uh, evangelism that we really... Um, into in the in the 70s uh, where we expected people to have a dramatic coming to faith you know through evangelistic crusades or you know a, a one-time decision but these days it really does seem to be more based in developing that relationship uh, I suppose even if we looked back in the scriptures we would see that more and more where we're seeing it with young people in particular with the work of scripture union and the churches that we work with is when we're reaching out to the community it's the young people that they want the relationship, they want to feel like they belong and they have a place where they're a part of things because our society has become so dysfunctional. Families are breaking down, um, relationships, is not, you might have a million friends on Facebook but you don't actually have anyone who really cares about you. And they're drawn to the relationship and through the relationship that's when we can actually 
start to explore those things of faith with these young people. Great insight, Chris. Let's get a response from Lynn Taylor. Lynn, you've been investigating this. Your research is all about this sort of idea, a relational connection. How do you respond to the things Chris is saying? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. It's definitely so important that people are experiencing that sense of relationship with others. Um, And as I talked before about those relationships being genuinely two-way relationships as well, where they are able to give as well as to receive, um, to contribute. Because I think young people also are really keen to to make a difference in the world um, and to be involved in in processes that that do that. Uh, So opening up opportunities for young people to contribute, to make a difference, to do stuff that, that actually brings positive change in our context as well. And you're quite right in terms of the difference between the you know, 1970s style evangelism um, with the emphasis on dramatic conversion events. But of course those events you know, built on a lifetime to that point of, of growing understanding of the Christian faith. And so it wasn't that these people were moving from having no sense of faith at all to deciding to follow Christ. They were responding to something that had been forming within them for a long time. And um, that is that formation within people that is vastly different now. Uh, when people aren't growing up in the church, they're not growing up with the stories of the Bible. So the starting point is vastly different. Um, and so uh, the way that we do evangelism, the way that we seek to communicate the gospel needs to be changed as well not because the the gospel itself has changed of course but just because the the forms that we need to use need to be different to to meet the needs of this new context well chris from south australia thanks so much for your great input here on 2020 and our talkback line remains open 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation 1-800-316-316 lynn you're talking about uh, when we have an evangelistic outreach, a crusade, and uh, sometimes there's what people will refer to as an altar call, and people will come forward and they'll make a decision. They'll say a sinner's prayer. And everything I'm talking about in this uh, uh, demands a whole lot of unpacking. But this way of coming to Christ, when people do come to Christ in those crusade-type events today, it usually is because they've had some sort of formation or there's a process been going on in their life before they actually go forward at an altar call? Is that the way that might work? Yeah, I would think so. That's very much more you know, the, the last stage of, of a process or the first stage of a process, depending on which way you look at it, of course, because it's only the beginning of a, an entire life with Christ. But, um, yeah, but it's certainly building on a lot, a lot before. I think one of the key cultural changes that's happened over the past 50 years relates to the, a sense of how we, um, or a, a sense of our own humanity and our own weakness. And I think in the 1950s, 60s, and into the 70s as well, there was a much greater sense that in order to be the best people that we could be, we needed something external to help with that. And so language around, um, it, was, it wasn't much of a, a shift to understand God making that sort of difference and coming in and and making a difference in our lives. Whereas now the the story that the culture tends to understand is much more that we have this potential within us and it needs to be discovered. And 
So language around evangelism that suggests that Jesus kind of rescues us from ourselves doesn't have as much traction as an understanding that points to our created status as people who are created in the image of God and created very good and the God offers us a way back to rediscover who we are in connection with God again. And I think that sort of language is more helpful, more understandable to people who haven't grown up in the church and who don't understand themselves to be sinners in need of saving, but more have an understanding of humanity as containing the potential that we need for our own well-being and flourishing. Powerful stuff when you talk about identity being more important to talk about now than perhaps, as you say, back in the 70s when you used to talk about rescue. Uh, But identity important and uh, being made and created in the image and likeness of God and recognizing that there's a distortion to uh, the uh, the way that we are as humans that can be corrected. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316, uh, talking about investigating why some people become Christians today. And let's hear from Robin in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin, welcome along. Yes, hi. Um, look, I, I haven't heard any, any mention really about spiritual interjections like the supernatural, how people come to the Lord. I'm hearing more and more and more these days of people that are coming to the Lord through visions, dreams from from Islam, from Hinduism, um, and even the occult. Um, I, some of the people that I listen to, they've come from those backgrounds, and they are pure because they haven't been churched. They haven't learnt all of the things that we have learnt that are not purely really from God. And um, I've had a personal encounter um, many years ago of a, a girl that was in the occult, she was in a class for auras and her teacher or whatever you call her just suddenly looked at her and said, you're going to know the truth in two years. And she suddenly, I don't know whether it's from that or whatever, but she suddenly realized she was on the wrong side spiritually. So then she went looking for a church and she's now in a um, Pentecost church, the one I go to over there. So, um, Good you know, thoughts, people. Robin. Let's get a response from Lynn because, yes, these things are important, aren't they? Dreams, visions, supernatural occurrences, even people seeing miracles happen. Uh, did those sorts of things figure in your research? Yes, absolutely. One of the women that I interviewed had come out of the New Age movement um, and she was one who had experienced dreams about Jesus from a very, very young age and her heartfelt desire was always to be connected to God and to be more and more connected to God and she went through this very long journey of seeking God desperately um, and found herself engaged in the New Age movement for many years and then came to a point of realising that actually that was a deception and through further dreams from God um, in which she encountered a very, very, very near presence um, of God with her, she realised that actually the Christian faith was was the truth, and that was what she started to embrace. And then it was a, a matter of her beginning to go to church um, to connect with other Christians to learn more about the Christian faith. And so, yes, that that supernatural experience was was crucial for her as she journeyed through a whole life of searching for God, basically, um, and then eventually turning and recognizing that it was in Christ that she could experience that connection with God that she so desperately sought and that it was in Christ that the truth
truth could be found. Thank you so much to Robin in Mount Morgan for your insight today. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, uh, let's take a call. Jonathan is in Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yes, uh, according to what other speakers are saying, you know, it varies. Maybe it might be a man, person who is sitting today was a church goer. What I mean by church goer is somebody going to church, but they don't make a decision for Christ. They're there for years. But when they come a time, they decide today to make a decision to be Christian. I was some maybe by miracle, they saw somebody greatly healed at the canal, who hold it, and they agreed to be converted that day and said the truth. Some went through miracles, and some go through dreams according to what they say is true. Jonathan, good thought in that. Let's get a response from Lynn, because as Jonathan is saying, sometimes people are actually in church, but they may not actually have had some sort of conversion experience, and they may be experiencing all sorts of churchianity, as uh, some people might describe that, but then something happens and then they have a conversion experience even though they're a part of a church. Uh, Your thoughts, Lynn? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't interview people who were in that situation, but yes, definitely that happens. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we all share our stories of not just coming to faith, but what our faith means for us today and now. Because as we share those stories, that enables other people who maybe haven't had those experiences for themselves or who haven't recognised that that is the experience they're having to actually find themselves in those stories as well. Thank you to Jonathan from Perth, 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join in our conversation. Lynn, you're talking about uh, sharing stories, and uh, there's a terminology that sometimes gets used about humans. We are meaning-making. When we do share our stories, there's the things that other people are sharing that we somehow rather relate to on this deeper level that you're talking about and meaning comes to us because we're a storytelling people. Is that the way uh, the strength of that storytelling works in strengthening and bringing people to an understanding of, of faith in Christ? Yeah, I think so, definitely. that We've definitely storied people. We yeah, run on narratives. And I think in some ways um, Western culture lost sight of that for a while um, is is beginning to reclaim it a bit Um, the importance of story the importance of of seeing our lives in narrative structure and in yeah in communicating in stories that then create resonance for other people as they can can see bits of themselves in in our own stories Um, and again build those connections and allow those insights to come um, as we recognize our own our own selves and the stories of others. Uh, Lynn, let me ask you uh, about the idea that uh, you might be in a relational setting and you might relate to what others are saying and you might even have a deeper, warm, fuzzy feeling about what people are saying. Uh, But what you believe, I guess, is also important when we talk about the death of Christ on the cross, of his resurrection, of what it means to be a belonging member of the church, getting into this right relationship, uh, understanding about your identity in Christ. These sorts of things are obviously important too in what people believe. Otherwise, you've just got people having warm, fuzzy feelings and uh, and, and liking one another, but 
but there's this uh, this certain uh, co- connection to God and His story, which actually becomes very important. Yes, there is. Yeah, and that um, obviously we wouldn't be here apart from that. It's the that's the the purpose behind it, um, and I think that's what we what we are searching towards as as human people as well. Is there a sense in which we can point to those uh, those elements of the gospel, the death of Christ on the cross, uh, his resurrection again, in connecting what God is doing in the first place, uh, making a restoration of humanity, uh, bringing people into right relationship, and then the new direction, the new way, is actually becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Is this sort of so important that you can't neglect these elements because actually being part of the church uh, is being conformed to Christ? Yeah, I think that's definitely that's definitely the end goal, and that's what we're working towards. But it was interesting that often those I interviewed were unable to articulate that sort of stuff, or certainly would have been able, wouldn't have been able to articulate it before they decided themselves that yes, they wanted to be on board with this thing. So there was a sense that they were moving towards a sense of connecting um, with God, a sense of recognizing what God had done through the death the life, death and resurrection of Christ. But they didn't necessarily weren't necessarily able to actually join all the cognitive dots on that before they found faith and before faith was formed in them. I think sometimes we expect that people's heads will be converted first and then the rest of them will come along. But I actually think that what was happening for people was more that was more holistic than that and they were saying yes they want to be part of this faith journey and then the understanding was was following and i think when we look at the disciples and their experiences with jesus there's a lot of evidence of them not exactly understanding cognitively what was happening but continuing to follow in the process and even you know right up at, right in, at the end when jesus was was dying they so many of them just didn't get what was going on um and yet they were there <laughs> and so how I think we can cut ourselves a bit of slack that we don't always understand the t- totality of the story before we say, yes, we want to embrace that for ourselves. So it's a lifetime of discipleship. It's a lifetime of growing understanding. It's a lifetime of faith formation towards being one in Christ. And that's the requirement of our entire lives, not the, it's not a set of parameters that we need to be able to, to to tick or to explain coherently before we choose to embrace faith for ourselves. Well, if we understand uh, the uh, the way we are trying to comprehend the incomprehensible God, uh, yeah. as you say, it is a lifelong journey, isn't it? And mm. we're all uh, people who are in the process of being uh, brought to a place of understanding some of those things and some uh, who've been on the journey a little longer have a little bit better our ability to articulate those things but as you say it's not necessarily a prerequisite to be able to articulate but I guess a confession of faith can be very very simple and a confession of faith is going to be somehow rather important there too because for some people, a verbal confession, in some churches they actually expect people to go through baptism to affirm their conversion experience. Mm. Uh, how do you actually uh, uh, quantify uh, where you are at that point? I mean, is that conversion happening in that moment you first believe or is it in that moment you make a confession of your faith or is it in that time when you make a public confession perhaps through baptism? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and it reminds me of one of the women I interviewed who had had this supernatural experience with with God 20 years before she appeared at a church ready to basically say at that point, yes, I do want to follow Jesus. And the minister said to her after the service, I can see Christ in you. And so the minister was recognising that that Jesus Christ was alive in her almost as before she was, before she had named that for herself, that she was following. But this this process of, of formation had been unfolding for her and she had accepted that she wanted to be part of this journey. So, yes, it's very much a, a, a process of discovery and obviously within each Christian tradition there are different um, paths that that are, are set for people and different expectations of how that how that journey is going to unfold. And I think the key aspect is that we are orientated towards Christ and that we are walking towards Christ in obedience and in faithfulness and that that's where we're headed. Um, and those things of that demonstrate our obedience and our desire to be in that place of discipleship well, uh, part of that process, um, whatever order they come in, and however that that shape happens for us, which yeah. is often. Lynn, our time has run out, and I know that there'll be people very interested in your research. Are there any ways that people can be in contact with you? Have you got plans to publish your research into a book anytime soon? Uh, is there any way that uh, that people can actually look a little more deeply into the things that you've written? I certainly do plan to publish a book out of my research, but it won't be anytime soon, unfortunately, because of the process by which these things unfold. Probably the best thing would be for people to to contact you, and then um, I will I will have a Facebook page up at some stage soon, which will house some of my my research. Um, and so people, you could be pointing people to that would probably be the easiest. Well, Lynn, it has been a, an enormous privilege to be able to check in on your research, and at a time too when this is perhaps. Uh, most uh, just clear in your own mind to be able to communicate these things and these findings that you've come to. Let me offer my congratulations on earning your PhD and having done that research, and I know it's a very rigorous process that you go through when you do that level of academic study, uh, and your your research will be very valid and uh, very powerful. And Lynn Taylor, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to share your heart with us here today on 2020. Thank you very much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.